We're in Acts chapter 27. Before we, well, as you turn there, I want to make a reminder. I think it's up on the board. Uh, we're going to start studying in Mob, M O B, Men of the Bible, Mob, M O B. We're going to start studying the, the book of First John. It is an, it is just an amazing book, and 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 I, I believe it'll bless your life, men, more than I can ever tell you. It just a, a, a just a great, great lesson upon lesson in that great book. And so this coming Wednesday, on June the 25th, this week, at 6.30 in the evening, we're going to have hot dogs and hamburgers and all the fixings and soft drinks and, and anything, hopefully, that you would want after you uh, put a day in work, if you don't mind coming here, that we might spend some time with you. Um, Wednesday the 25th in the uh, multi-purpose room. We're going to meet at 6.30 in the evening, for, and we'll feed you as much as you'd like. You do not need to RSVP. In other words, you don't have to let us know. Just come. Just come, and we'll just fill this place, hopefully, with, uh, with those that uh, will, will get an overview of the book of 1 John. If it's not your intent to study the, first, the book of 1 John, something's in your life, you, you're here, there, and everywhere, don't feel that you should not come. Come anyways. Come and, and be a part so that we can have fellowship with one another. Maybe get to know you a little bit better. You get to know us a little better, whatever. But I look forward to seeing you all on this particular Wednesday coming up, 6.30, the men in this church for hot dogs and hamburgers and all the trimmings and fixings. And, uh, and we'll just have a great time. Would you turn with me, I guess you already have, to uh, Acts chapter 27. Let me share with you what is taking place. I believe, just my, my, my kind of belief in this, because I didn't get it from commentaries, my belief is this book was written to explain to the church what true uh, leadership is all about. Um, Dr. McGee writes that there is a man named Sir... What in the world was his name? His name is um, Sir William Ramsey. He did a study, an extensive study on this particular chapter, and he came to, to believe this was perhaps the most comprehensive... Um, biblical account of any kind of journey that was ever made. He, they, they believe that perhaps they took the, the notes right off of the, the ship's roll uh, as they kind of journeyed where they were going from, time, from day to day. As you're going to see, this is going to be a terrible, terrible trip. And you're going to also see that Paul forewarned them. What we're going to see, though, is Paul. I don't want you to lose track of this. Paul goes on this ship as a prisoner. He walks off of this ship as the leader. He is the one that is telling them, look, we're going to lose the ship, but not a life is going to be lost if you will stay here. As a matter of fact, look, we're going to read only through verse 13, but look ahead a little bit in this particular chapter, Acts chapter 27. What we're going to see is in verse 37, there were 276 people upon that ship. A good portion was the crew. They were transporting, we believe, grain from one place to another, from Caesarea, but actually they, they went from a different port to, to Italy and this particular ship. And out of all of the 276 of them, most of them were prisoners. Most of them were being escorted from wherever they were to Rome to go on trial, Paul being one of them. And so I don't want you and me to lose sight of the fact that Paul is a prisoner in and through all of this in chains and if this ship were to go down, before it went down, they would have made sure that they killed all the prisoners first. And so Paul is in peril. And yet what you and I are going to see in this journey is that Paul never once loses his purpose in his life. And so that is one thing to look at. The next, next thing to see is what we're going to take a look at at leadership. And as I said to you before, um, just a little while ago, I, I don't believe that it was, it's, it, the, the intent is for us to see how terrible of a journey this was. I believe it just chronicles the life of Paul as he goes from Caesarea towards Italy. But I think the reason it's written is to show us what true Christian leadership looks like. Now, I've taken that a step further in my own opinion of this book and this particular chapter. And I think it's, it's really wanting to teach you and me what true followers are like more than leaders. Leaders are few. The followers are the multitudes. 
And if you really want an insight to me, I'd much prefer being a follower than a leader. Much, much, much prefer. I like putting myself under the authority of some people that I trust and, and follow after where they're going. It's my bent more than being a leader. In fact, uh, nah, I won't tell you. But I'll just, no, nah, I can't do that and then not tell you. Whenever I used to go back to the, the old-timer games and, and, and guys would hear that I'm a pastor, they said, man, nobody listened to you when you were younger. What makes you think they're listening to you now? <laughs> and that's the truth. That's really the truth. Those guys knew me. And so it is not my bent. It is not. And yet the Bible says that each of us have been gifted by our Lord and each of us are to do what He's called us to do. And I'm going to show you that before we get into anything else in this particular passage. What we are seeing here in the 27th chapter is an amazing chapter. It chronicles the, the, the life of these men upon this ship. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, if Look at, um, it says, Paul says in verse 33, Today is the 14th day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating and without having taken anything. They have been um, at sea, not being able to see the stars at night nor the sun at day. They have absolutely no way of knowing where they're going because the stars were their compasses, where they were to go. And, and they couldn't see anything. So for two weeks, they've been just adrift and having the sea take it with its winds. And these men are, are, are really fearing for their lives. And this is where Paul will step up. But first things first, let's, let's see how it all begins. Paul has been two years in prison in Caesarea. And finally... The promise of the Lord. Remember back, look back at chapter 23, verse 11, just for a second, just to refresh your memory. Paul is discouraged beyond reason. He is being threatened of his life. And it says in in chapter 23, verse 11, uh, on the night immediately following, when they just threatened his life, the Lord came and stood at Paul's side and said to Paul, take courage. Take courage, Paul. And then... The Lord makes this prophetic statement to Paul. For as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. And so now we see Paul is on his way to Rome. But he senses real dangers. Now Paul is not a sailor. But Paul has great knowledge of the sea as you and I will see in a moment. And he is going to try to encourage the crew not to travel any further, but rather to find a safe harbor until winter passes. But nonetheless, they're going to press on. And sure enough, just as Paul said, they hit terrible, terrible weather. Well, anyone would have known in those days, or most people should have known, those sailors especially, that you didn't travel the time of the year that they were traveling. And it is recorded in verse 9. We know exactly when they are traveling. It was after the feast, after the fast, I should say, which was the Day of Atonement. So they are now traveling later September, early October. And anyone would have, would have docked their ship, stayed there until February, but rather than be on the waters, especially into the open seas. But they do. They do go, and um, they don't listen to Paul. Let's read what is uh, the warnings here in, in in chapter 27, verses 1 through 13. Let me hopefully get through some of these names. Verse 1, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an Adrimitrian, Adrimitrian ship, which is about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day, we put out for Sidon. And Julius treated Paul with consideration, allowing him to go to his friends and receive care. Verse 4. And from there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. 
And when we had sailed through the sea along the coasts of Cilicia and Pamphylia, um, Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. And when we had sailed slowly for a good many days, and with difficulty had a ride off of Nidus, since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Salmoni. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a certain place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. And when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than, he was, than, what, than by what was being said by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. And when a moderate south wind came up, supposing they had gained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. As you can see, they did not want to go out into the sea. They, they, they saw the dangers, but because of the wind and because of the darkness of the skies, both at day and night, they had no clue there, where they were going, and they ended up going off offshore and getting into very, very great danger. Now, this is really an interesting place in Scripture because I think, I hope, it will speak to a couple of issues. Uh, number one, the heart of Paul. We're going to see. Here's this, just let's not forget, he's in chains. He's on this ship. He is under tremendously difficult circumstances, to say the least. And yet we're going to see he never lost focus of what his purpose was in his life. I want to talk about that. And then I want to also mention the things about leadership. <clears throat> Last night, I, I must, just full disclosure, I, I would have loved to have missed this week and give this to a visiting pastor. I really would have. This is not a fun thing to go over. And last night, after I got through with the message, I looked at the people and I said, okay, tell me, should I go home, redo this, so that I don't get into trouble tomorrow? And I had a gentleman sitting right about where you are in that yellow shirt. And this gentleman stood up to me and he said, no, you, no, we come here to hear the Word of God preached. You preach the Word of God. And with that, they all started to applaud. I got really embarrassed. And, uh, but it, was, it, was, it brought me to tears um, to think that that's the, the purpose of our church. This is not an easy uh, message in some ways. I want you to know that I have nobody, nobody, nobody in mind. When I do the message, I think of only two people, myself and the Lord, and not in that order. I think of Him... And what would he have me to say? And I think, how does this impact my life? So that if there is sin, that I might change. If there is need for change in my life, that I am willing to change. And that's normally the way I study, that purpose. And then I tell you what the Lord seems to have taught me during the week. And so I will, uh, I will preach this message. And uh, I will pray that God will bless all of our hearts. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we, we just did what is important for us as a believer, body of believers, and that is we've just read um, your word, and we saw uh, very deeply explained the journey that Paul is making from, from uh, Caesarea uh, on his way to Rome, a place that you told him personally that he was to go and that you would take him there. And so, Father, it's really, it really touches my heart to watch your servant, Paul. I, um, I try to learn from him, Lord. Uh, he's so faithful. 
I'd like to be that man. I ask that you would move me aside, though, in this particular case, because, Father, I want this message to be your heart to our hearts, mine included, of course. And so, Father, I ask that you would move me aside and, and let us just see what you would have to say to us. Certainly this will not touch everyone in in every facet, but there will be places, Father, that you'll minister to us. Just as the gentleman came up to me after the first service and, and just blessed me beyond measure as he said, well, what he said to me was personal, I would assume, so I won't say, but I thank you for that. I thank you for the people here. I love them, Father, so much. It's, it's really a, it's really a fun, fun place to be, and I pray your blessings upon us. And may we be faithful, faithful to you, faithful to your word, faithful to one another, and faithful to our, our own selves. Bless us, Father. Bless us deeply. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, if you read commentaries or you studied this place in Scripture, m- most commentaries will tell you this. Paul has had three missionary journeys. I, 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 I want to I throw out to you that I believe that this is just as much a, a missionary journey as Paul has ever had. I, I consider this to be Paul's fourth missionary journey because he is going to witness here just as faithfully as he had in any other places he's been. As a matter of fact, next week we will see, but would you turn with me please and, and look at, uh, at, at verses uh, 22 and 23. Now they're really in trouble. They're, they're, they're throwing things overboard. They're trying to make the ship light and they're, they're trying to save themselves. And in verse 20 says, all hope of, of our being saved was gradually abandoned. So they, they were just, they were, they were in deep trouble. And though Paul says then in verse 22, I want to urge you, look, verse 22, yet now I urge you, keep your courage. There shall be no loss of life among you, only the ship. And then Paul says in verse 23, what I wanted you to note, and this will be for really for next week so much, but I just want you to note the faithfulness of Paul. He says, for this very night, an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I serve. You see, Paul was never afraid to tell anyone and everyone that he belonged to this God, this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who gave to this world the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. This God to whom he belongs and to whom he serves is going to get them out of this danger. And so what we see there, I just wanted you to touch on that, is that Paul is witnessing just as faithfully on this ship as he did in any other community he was ever in. But I want you to note something. Before we get off into this study, I want you to note that Paul's circumstances never hindered him from following God's plan. This was the first thing that hit me when I started reading this chapter over and over again. It hit me that Paul's circumstances did not stop him from following the plan that God had for his life. Even though he has made this whole journey under chains... He still wrote, there's two places, if you get to it in time, great. But if not, just mark it down, you can look at it later. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 verse 9 and Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. Just two verses, but let me read them to you. And if you turn to them in time, you can maybe mark them or underline them. But Paul wrote these words in Second Timothy 2 9, he wrote, For which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but... Paul writes, the word of God is not imprisoned. You see, Paul was saying, no matter what my circumstances are, no matter what I'm going through, the word of God is not imprisoned. I might be, I might be in chains, but not the word of God. It is free to do whatever it will do to whomever hears the message. And then Paul also wrote in Philippians 1.12, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, in other words, all of the things that he went through that were so difficult, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And so I stopped and I asked myself a question as I got to this place. What would it take, John? What would it take for you to stop doing what God called you to do? What would be the circumstances that would be so terrible that you wouldn't serve Him anymore? And I thought, I don't know what lies before me. 
I remembered when my father died, when I came back home, I preached right away. When my mother died, I preached that weekend. There's been nothing that has stopped me yet. By the grace of God, I've had wonderful health. Let me me get off of me. What I ask myself is, what would give me the feeling? What would give me the, the permission, if you would, to take time off from serving my Lord? And I've concluded up to this time, Lord, I know of nothing. I know of nothing. I say that to myself, and I pass it along to you. What would stop you? Nothing stopped Paul. His circumstances never stopped him from letting people know of the God whom he belonged and to the God whom he served. Okay, let's now go. Let's look at verses 1 through 8. We just read it. The ship hits bad weather. Verse 4, we are told the winds were contrary. Verse 7, we are told they had to sail slowly for a good many days, and with difficulty they went to a place called Nidus. The sea is silent. Nidus, and the winds did not permit them to go any further. As we can see from verse 9, Luke Luke. now, by the way, you can see in this passage the, the mentions of we and us. Luke now is along with Paul, caring for him. As a matter of fact, in verse, I think it's 3 or 4, no, in 3, when Julius allowed Paul to be treated by his friends, I believe that was Dr. Luke caring for whatever was wrong with Paul. But as you can see from verse 9, Luke writes, the fast was already over. That meant the Day of Atonement was over with, which was, as I've already mentioned, later September, early October, and the, 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 the seas were very dangerous during the wintertime. They should not have been out on the sea. In verse 6, we see that they exchanged ships. I believe they went into a bigger ship that held more people, 276 to be exact. And they took this Alexandrian ship that was going towards Italy. Now, what we do note from verses 1 to 8 is in verse 1, there is a, a man named Julius, a centurion, who was in charge of Paul. In other words, it was his duty to get Paul from Caesarea to Rome. That was his duty. And in verse 3, we find out that this guy named Julius started to treat Paul with consideration. He allowed Paul to go to his friends and receive care. I believe among his friends is none other than Luke, who is writing this account. And I thought to myself, could it be like Joseph? God was giving favor to Paul in the eyes of those who were over him, his superiors. Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 39, just for a moment with me. We're going to look at two verses. But you remember the story. This is a time when, 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 when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, and they sold him to this group going in, to Egypt, and they... they, they They sold him there, and now he is under the care of a guy named Potiphar, who was an Egyptian officer of the Pharaoh. And and it wasn't long that it says in in Genesis chapter 39, verse 4, Joseph found favor in the sight of Potiphar, in his sight, Potiphar's sight. And Joseph became his, Potiphar's, personal servant. And Potiphar made Joseph overseer over his house and all that he owned, Potiphar put in Joseph's charge. Now, you know the story. Uh, Potiphar's wife kind of uh, liked Joseph and she tried to get him, entice him to, to, to be with her. And he wouldn't. She became angry at that, whether it was the rejection or whatever, I don't know. But she tells her husband, she lies to her husband. She goes, Potiphar comes home and she says, Potiphar, you know what this guy is doing, trying to do to me? Look, da, 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 do. And he gets angry with Joseph. And what does he do? He throws Joseph where? In jail. Now, look at verse 21. When Joseph was thrown in jail... The Lord, it says in verse 21, was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave Joseph favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And what we see is the leadership qualities 
that Joseph had seemed to be the same type of leadership qualities that Paul has. And Julius, in time, found favor upon Paul. Now, some say that Julius became a Christian, that that Paul led him to Christ, but it doesn't say that, does it? I don't know what it is. But all we do know is from verse 3 that this guy named Julius treated Paul with great consideration and he allowed him to go to his friend to receive any care that he needed. Now, in verses 9 and 10, we see the leadership qualities of Paul come forth before those who were in charge of him. He tells them they ought not to go to sea. Let's read verses 9 and 10 again. When the considerable time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous. The fast was over with. Paul began to admonish them. That doesn't mean he's talking down to them. He is just telling them. He said, man, I perceive that the voyage is going to certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. Now, how does Paul know the seas? How does he understand? He wasn't a sailor. These guys are hardened sailors. They, they should know more about the seas than Paul. I want you to see something. I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want you to take a marker or something and hold that place because it's going to be critical. We're going to come back to it at the very end of this message. But turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It, of course, is to the right. Hold your place both in Acts and, and then put a bookmark or something here in 2 Corinthians, because I really want to come back. 2 Corinthians, um, Paul is telling about the circumstances in his life as a missionary. And look what he writes. He says in verse 22, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? Me too. No, he says, so am I. And, and, And he says, Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then Paul says, I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors. In far more imprisonments beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Verse 24, five times, he says, I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Verse 25 was the part I wanted you to see. Three times, he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And note now, three times, three times, he says, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. He goes on to say, I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, from robbers, from my countrymen, from Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness, on the sea, among false brethren. Verse 27 says, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and in cold and exposure. How does Paul know the seas? I'll tell you how. He'd been in three different shipwrecks. And he knew bad seas when he saw them. And he spent, he said in his testimony, a day and a night in the deep, almost losing his life. So Paul understood the seas. And these men should have as well. But they had a job to do, and Paul was looking out for all of them, for their health and their welfare. But, verses back to Acts chapter 27, hold your place here in 2 Corinthians. We'll come back. But in Acts chapter 27, in verses 11, 12, and 13, understandably, and I say understandably, They listened to the pilot and the captain of the ship, not Paul. Look what it says in verses uh, 11 through 13. But the centurion was more more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than what was being said by Paul. Verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, note, the majority, the majority, I want you to take note of that, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete. So that the majority of them said, no, 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 let's go, let's go. Let's not listen to what Paul is saying. Let's do what we need to do. And much of what we see of Paul in this instant, in chapter 27, which is, I believe, the very reason why it is chronicled, why we get to look at it, is leadership. What does biblical leadership look like? Because it's needed within the family of God. And so... With that in mind, look at Matthew chapter 10 for a moment, please. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew, of course, is to the left of of Acts. There's Matthew and then Mark. And I said Matthew and I meant Mark. Please forgive me. Mark chapter 10. 
Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, we see the Lord uh, talking about uh, marriage and divorce. We see him talking about little children. Don't, don't stop them from coming to, to be with him. And then we see in, in verse 17 forward, we see this rich young ruler come to Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 17, what, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus tells him, and, and, and I, I saw something really precious in, in, this, in this, this part of this chapter in Mark. Look at verse 21 kind of closely. Jesus Christ says, looking at him, Jesus looking at this, this rich young ruler, it says, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, here's what you need to do. Why don't you go and sell everything that you have? Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Follow me, Jesus Christ said. And you know very well that the rich young ruler couldn't. And he was grieved in his heart and walked away from our Lord. But what I want you to note is while they were walking around the road in verse 32, something very interesting takes place. The disciples were listening to everything that Jesus Christ was saying and doing, watching what he was doing. And it says in verse 32, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, Jesus took the twelve aside, and he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. He says in verse 33, Behold, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man is going to be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. And they'll come and condemn him, meaning himself, to death. They will deliver him, Jesus, to the Gentiles. They will mock me. They will spit upon me. They will scourge me. They'll kill me. And in three days, I will raise from the dead. He tells them what is going to take place in his life. Listening to this, two brothers come to him, James or James and John, sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. These two guys come to Jesus Christ and they ask him an amazing question. Watch what they ask. It has everything to do with leadership. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. No, he says, Sure, I'll do it. No, he says to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said... Grant, verse 37, grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right and the other on your left. In other words, what they're asking is, we want to be leaders. We want to be leaders in the kingdom that is going to be set up by you. We want to sit on your right and on your left. Jesus Christ answers them and says, verse 38, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? And they said, you bet. Yeah, we are able. And they weren't. Neither are you, neither am I. What Jesus Christ went through on the cross, I don't know that we'll ever know. Maybe in heaven we'll be able to comprehend a little bit. But I'm not sure that we'll ever know the depth of what he went through upon the cross. But what he went through on the cross for you and for me is monumental. He took upon Himself all our sin, the sin of this whole world. It was dumped upon Him, and He took that upon Himself. He allowed Himself to be, to be uh, nailed to a cross to shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And so He says to those guys, what you're asking, you don't realize. You, 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 you can't handle it. I want you to go now down to verse 42. Excuse me, verse 41. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. You know why? Well, they wanted to be leaders too. And we wanted to. We want to be with you. We want to be on your right and left. We want to lead. We want to lead. Jesus says, do you really? And so calling them, verse 42, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers, leaders of the Gentiles, lord it over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. In other words, he is saying the world's idea of leadership is to be a, someone who is lording their position over others. They have this position so that they can be here and the other people can be there and they can lord their position over those other people. They want to be the boss. He says in verse 43, 
it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. And then verse 45 is just amazing. Jesus Christ says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. And so Jesus tells us right there and then what really true leadership looks like. It's to be a servant. It's to be the slave. If you want to be first, you are to be the slave. If you, if you want to have some authority, you are to be the servant of those you are over. I want to say something about leadership right now, that, uh, especially church leadership. I believe what the church desperately needs today, and let me, let me not get really out there to all churches. Any church needs true servant leaders. But often the congregation makes it extremely difficult in becoming a true servant leader. And here's why. I believe what the church really truly needs are true followers of Jesus Christ who are willingly and willing to follow those who God has appointed over us. I say to you before and I say to you again, and I say to you in, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that, that I believe is, is, is guiding me as I preach, I, I would prefer not be a leader. I would much rather be a follower. I really would. I know my gifts. It's much more simple for me to take orders and to follow those orders out. I love doing that. But God gives positions to some, and who knows why. I mean, He already says that He, that he, he, he gives to the weak to, to confound those who are strong. And I, I believe I'm one of His prime examples. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to know what I believe makes true servant leadership so difficult within the church? I think it's one word, plain and simple. Failures failures. A church leader's decisions and failures are out there in the open for everyone to see. We can't duck and hide. We make decisions here that sometimes go contrary to the way we thought it was going to go and then and then who knows? There's yeah, I, Here's what I learned. I learned this under none other than Tommy Lasorda about leadership. They had a bad game, and I happened to be at the stadium underneath the dugout in the tunnel going up to his locker. I don't know why I was there that evening. All I know is it was there. Maybe it was a day game. I did chapel, but I hung around. Usually I just took off for home. The game was over, and he was really angry. They lost in the last minute of the decision that he made. He said, come with me. He jerks me into his office. He says, I want you to watch what I have to go through. <laughs> Sit there. And in about two minutes... <laughs> Reporters were coming in. Oh, man, they just flooded the office. Why did you make that decision? Didn't you know that so-and-so hit so-and-so really good? Why did you make that decision? They were, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And he said, stop. You know, he yelled at them. How much do you make? How much do you pay a month? Well, the guy didn't answer. Nobody wanted to answer that. So he went back and he looked. How much are you paid a month? Nobody answered. He says, well, I'll tell you what I make. You see it in the paper. I make millions of dollars. You know why? Because I have to make the first decision. You come in here and tell me what I should have done after you've seen what took place. He says, I bet you'd make more money if you had to make the first decision. <laughs> you kind of shut the guys up. I giggled. I thought, well, how brilliant was that? He's saying, I'm paid millions of dollars. Because I have to make the first decision not knowing what's right or what's wrong. I do it to the best of my ability. And then he said, you know, if that guy, I asked to go in and pitch that guy, and that guy didn't hit a home run, he struck him out, you would have come in here and told me, man, you're a great manager, Tommy, sort of. Because you have a chance to see it after I make the decision. And in the church, it's kind of almost the same thing. We, we, we do what we think the Lord is leading us to do, and we make decisions. And, and, and I, I want to say to you, not, not when, I mean when, not if, but when the congregation rebels over decisions that are made by the leadership of the church, that failure, that failure can paralyze a church leader into inaction. 
And then when a Christian leader struggles and they start to mistrust their own judgment and the fear of making any decision, it turns out to be, in case it turns out to be the wrong one, so as avoid, to avoid doing or saying anything that might upset someone, we do and say nothing at all. Let me tell you how I know. This has been true throughout time. Turn with me back to the very beginning of it all, not the beginning of, of everything on earth, but look at Exodus chapter 17 with me, please. In Exodus chapter 17, Genesis and then Exodus. In the 17th chapter, Israel has just been freed from Egypt. They had gone through the Red Sea. The Lord God Himself parted the Red Sea. They walked through the Red Sea. They're on the other side now. Three days later, they didn't get any water. And here's what takes place. In chapter 17, in verse 2, it says, The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we might drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? goes on to say in verse 3, But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt? To kill us? To kill our children? And to kill our livestock with thirst? I mean, can you imagine the pressure that Moses must have felt, that Aaron must have felt? I mean, here are these people. I, I think by account there were a million. I don't know, a lot of them. And here they are grumbling against him, saying, what did you bring us here out of Egypt? We had water in Egypt. We don't have anything out here in this desert. Look at verse 4. Moses cried out to the Lord and said, what am I going to do with these people? A little more and they're going to stone me. They want to kill me. They want to kill me, Lord. They want to kill me. Look at chapter 16, same, same book, Exodus. The second verse. The whole congregation. Do you remember... Verse 2, 16-2, the whole congregation. Remember I told you in verse 12, back in Acts chapter 27, that the majority said, let's go? Well, the whole congregation here, they grumbled against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. You don't think that's intimidating? Everyone says, you're wrong, Moses. Everyone says, you're wrong, Aaron. And so, in verses 7 and 8, the morning, Moses tells them, you're going to see the glory of the Lord. He hears you grumbling against the Lord. What are we that you grumble against us? Verse 8, Moses said, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the, in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against Him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us. It's against whom? The Lord. You see, the majority is not always right. And decisions that we make, not necessarily us as a church, but decisions sometimes fail. Then on the other hand, you'll get leaders who are firm and very authoritative. And that often runs the risk of alienating people within the church. And in today's economy, folks, in today's economy of the church, rather than to work things out, what people do is go to another church. Or worse, or worse, they get their feelings hurt and then they stop going to church altogether. And I can't tell you how many people I've bumped into in this community. It says, you know, I, I saw what went on over there and I... I said, well, how are you doing? Nah, okay, where are you churching? Well, I'm not going to church anymore. And I, I want to cry. I want to cry. So the love of people can make a leader defensive and feel the need for explaining or justifying the actions that they did or worse, do nothing at all. You see, without question... Leadership within a church is extremely difficult. And so, like Forrest Gump, that's all I got to say about that. (laughs) But you know if you're a peacemaker or a grumbler, I want you to see two places in Scripture. Hebrews, and I told you to stay in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Thank you, Mickey. In Hebrews, in in chapter 2 of, um, in the second chapter of, of I mean, the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians. Hebrews speaks to the fact of following God's people. 
whom God has placed over us. It's not by accident that this verse is in Scripture that you and I should know it. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because the Bible says they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. I've often said to my wife, I cannot even tell you how many times I've said to my wife after a sleepless night, You know, honey, I wish that I was just strong enough to be a construction worker. That I would go to work in the morning and a boss would come and draw a, a rectangle like a four by six and says, dig it four feet deep. And I could start digging that thing and dig it and dig it. And when the bell whistle, when whistle blows at five o'clock or whenever we're supposed to stop, I could drop my shovel and come home and just enjoy the evening. I would not give a hoot about that hole. But that's not the place that God has placed you, me. Last night, someone told me something that was so deep that I couldn't sleep during the night. And when I did fall asleep, when I woke up, it was the first thing on my mind. I must have prayed for this guy over and over again. The love of the congregation goes d- deep for those who are hopefully caring for our souls because we're going to have to give an account. So it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, let them do this with joy and not with grief because it would be unprofitable for you and for me. Now remember I told you that I wanted to go back and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Please, now let's go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It'll make sense in a moment, I promise you. Paul was giving his difficulties in ministry. He says in verse 23, he was in prison, beaten times without number, and in danger of death. In verse 24, he says five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. The reason they stopped at 39 is because they thought, pretty much thought that 40 lashes would kill a person. Five times he had 39 lashes. Verse 25, he says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Spent a night and a day in the deep. Verse 26, he says, I've been on frequent journeys. I've been in dangers. And he goes on to give a list from rivers, from robbers, from my countrymen, from the Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness, on the sea, among false brethren. I've been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And then I want you to read what I didn't read a moment or two ago. Along with the concerns that Paul had for his life, he gives equal, I don't know what the word is, equal uh, place, I guess, with verse 28, he says, And apart from those external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Paul lumps into one package caring for the churches with his mere death experiences. That's how much the stress is upon those of us who truly care for your souls. It is my deepest belief, and I'm done, but I want to say this. It is my deepest belief. I I am convinced in my spirit as I pray for you in this church that this church is going to do some great things. In fact, a guy came up to me after the first service and said, we're already doing great things, Pastor. I've been saved. But I see, I see something for us if the Lord waits to come back that I can't even tell you what it is. I just see something great. I also know that I'm not going to be a part of it. I'm not going to be here probably to do that. Now, I'm all right. I'm going to live and all that stuff. But what I think I see is that it's for the next generation. 
But those of you who are young enough and can be here, you can kind of sit back one day and say, man, I remember when we started in those theaters and we went to the plays and then we were in that other building. And now look. And we're going to see hundreds, if not thousands of people come to Christ. I love this church and I love you people so much that it hurts. And so I give this message um, under some duress in my own spirit because I don't know of any of you that have grumbled. Nobody's grumbled to me. I guess I'm just throwing out this warning to obey your leaders, submit to them because they care for your souls. Don't grieve them. It would be unprofitable for you. The Lord's not kidding when He says that. I love you so much. I pray great things for this place. I pray great things for your family. And for your friends and your relationships. I see it. I see it. I just don't know how it's going to happen. Father, please, let us be a church that uh, that understands what it means to be a good, true follower of, of those that you place in leadership over us. Leaders are few. The multitudes the majority. That's us. That's that's us. Let us obey those over us and submit to them. Let us, Father God, see what you're going to do here. And let us not allow those that have any leadership um, commitments here to be fearful that they might fail. We're going to fail. Father, we will fail. We're human beings. We will We'll never deny. We'll never deny you. And we'll continue striving, Father. Bless this church, please. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. Have yourselves a great day. Oh, thank you. Have yourselves a great day. It's hot. Be really careful and just enjoy. I'll see you next week. That's very kind of you. Thank you so much.